We are speaking with the uh, one and only uh, bassist uh, extraordinaire, Leland Sklar. Of course, the new album is The Immediate Family, and uh, we've spoken a little bit about The Immediate Family in our last interview, but we didn't really delve into the documentary. So there is this documentary that is scheduled to come out in 2022. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Is it just sort of like, uh, you know, one of these uh, slice of life things where here we are, here's the band in the studio, and the or is it a documentary that says, this is Leland Sklar, he started in 1975 doing this, and this is so-and-so a member, and he started doing this. What kind of documentary is it? Is it just really the immediate family in the immediate time, or is it sort of a, well, this is who these guys are? Um, the latter. Okay. Uh, there, there's a great documentary that was made. By the way, Mitch, it's, it's great to be here with you. Yes, um, a, a pleasure. And I got to see that you were on the Kelly Clarkson show the other day, and I was like, oh, look at that. Yeah, it's going it's to air on the 15th, I believe. Um, and that was really a hoot, because when Kelly won uh, American Idol, yeah. um, I went in the studio with her and did a, a couple of songs uh, wow. when she was just beginning all wow. this stuff. And then she told me that she was in Australia working when we were there with James Taylor and Carol King doing our Troubadour reunion tour. And she goes, that was the best show I've ever been to. It was just so, I mean, wow. we, she, she's a hoot and she's a real fantastic little potty mouth truck driver. So <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a no holds and, barred with And her. by the way, it's great to see her and some of the other ones have the success. Cause when American Idol started, we all went, Oh, it's just garbagey. It's just, you know, they're just going to pick whoever. It's not real. It's not. But between her and uh, Carrie Underwood, yeah. I, mean, th I mean, yeah, they, they, they sort of cut the to the front of the line, but they're still very talented. Great yeah, people. No, she's, she's very, very good, man. When she opens her mouth in almost any, any genre, I mean, they, they sent me a couple of tunes to, uh, you know, said pick one to, to do with her when she, she's going to sing a song with you on on the show and one of the i picked let's dance david bowie and she killed it you know did so, you play on let's dance by the way not on the original but uh okay. I've, I've done it before we did a, a a show uh there was a show in las vegas called um uh, inside the rock vault i think and it was this big live show but it was all this music had been recorded and they were on stage and I recorded that stuff with Simon Phillips from Toto and yeah. uh, Kim Pierce. And we went in the studio with um, uh, John. Oh, God, what's John's last name? He's from uh, Asia, the group Asia. He's the bass player and, and sings with them now. Um, Ferguson? No, John. It doesn't matter. But we ended up doing like 35 songs for this show, doing real sound-alike stuff from the oh, Stones. So uh, that's that's the Raiding the Rock Vault, that, that Vegas show, right? That yeah. has like Hugh McDonald and uh, 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 Robin McCauley. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we did the music for that. Oh, very cool. And so Let's Dance was one of them, so it was fun to play it again. So, okay. So back back to the uh, documentary. Yeah, we, we, we tangent oh, no, a lot, but that's okay. The doorbell just rang. I'm going to go let her in, and then I'll be back and under undisturbed. So okay. Hold on. See. But we haven't gotten to your question yet. There okay. we go. Seems so like uh, you ran off, and then we but we were talking about the uh, the, the 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 documentary. Documentary. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so if anybody isn't familiar with it, one of the great music documentaries is called The Wrecking Crew. Yes. And it was done by Denny Tedesco, whose father was Tommy Tedesco, who was one of the greatest of all the old studio guitarists. Yep. 
he was part of this amazing uh, group of people that did almost all the uh, recording in Los Angeles throughout the late 50s through the 60s and uh, into the beginning of the 70s. Um, Hal Blaine on drums and Larry Nechtel and Mike Melvoin and Carol Kay and all these people. So Denny did this, this documentary about them, which is a remarkable piece. Well, he, he approached, he had producers and they approached the immediate family and said they would like to do a documentary about the group. Wow. Um, I, you know, uh, the thing we didn't want to do is like have like Wrecking Crew 2, you know, that kind of a thing. And he said, no, you guys are incredibly different, uh, especially the core four of us. Um, because Steve Postel is like 10 years younger and he wasn't a part of this beginning thing. He's a part of the band and, you know, and he's like the new guy. I've only known him like 15 years. Um, but um, he said, you know, the Wrecking Crew, the essence of them was they, they were like a, a force to be reckoned with for about 10 years. They, they, did all these albums from the Beach Boys to the Mamas and Papas to Frank Sinatra, you name it. But they never got any recognition because there was no musician credits on album jackets. And, uh, and they never left the studio. They would go in the studio around the clock doing people's records. Um, and that was it for them. He said the difference is you guys entered at a time of the singer-songwriter movement in Los Angeles with James Taylor and Jackson Brown and all Carol King and all these people. Um, and not only did you play on their records and contribute like arrangements and stuff, uh, you produced some of them, you wrote some of the songs and you toured with the artists. And he said, and you've been doing it not 10 years, but 50 years and still going at it. So he said it's a very different outlook. So the documentary film really harkens back uh, to the very beginning, like around 1970 for all of us. And it follows straight through to today. So it's a, it's a I'm not sure, uh, I'm curious to see what it's gonna look like. They're, they're editing the movie now and they're anticipating having it finished by the end of this year. Then they go on and they try to you know look for buyers and all that. Right. And, yeah. So but we're anticipating the thing we're excited about is if uh, if it's finished and there's like film festivals, going to the film festivals, uh, having them premiere the film and then having us play. Oh, that'd the, be great. Which would be really another way to, you know, to sell this this project. So we're Do you excited. Know? No clue what it's going to, how they're spinning it or what it's going to be all about. But do you know how they assembled it? I mean, did they go out to some of your live shows and film oh, yeah. you at live? Okay, they did that. Yeah, they, they filmed some some live shows. Um, lots of, I mean, tons and tons of interviews from, uh, I mean, they, they've interviewed, you know, Linda Ronstadt and Carol King and James Taylor and Jackson Brown and people like Billy Bob Thornton and Phil wow. Collins and uh, Lyle Lovett. So there's tons of interviews. And then they have all these forensic people that are digging up all kinds of photos and footage and, but how it's going to be assembled, we have no idea. We've, we've seen no rough cuts or anything like that. They don't oh, want wow. us to see any of it until they think it's in shape because they don't want us to suddenly be looking and going, oh, look, you should be, you should be doing it. Yeah, right I get now, that. Yeah, right now they, they need to get their thing as close as they can and then we'll come in and tweak it 
they, they need to get their vision straight. I, I, I can respect that because yeah. too many cooks in the kitchen. You know how that works. Exactly. No, it could it would it could be horrible to have be like, you know, they're featuring Leland too much. No, they're featuring you too much. No, they're oh, it's just like just yeah, yeah. So so we'll see. <laughs> it was just incredibly flattering when we were approached um, to do this. Um, you know, it's kind of the last thing I ever thought we want to do a documentary about. Are you kidding? We're just working stiffs, but that's the way this business works. Well, okay, let me ask you about that because I'm looking at your discography, and we'll talk a bit about about that in a minute. But when you got yeah. started, you obviously didn't say, "I want to be the guy who they call and play on 2,000 records." You you probably no, wanted to be Paul McCartney. You probably wanted to be whoever. You wanted to be the guy. Um, when did you start out? What was the band you were trying to, to get going? And when did you sort of realize, okay, I'm not meant to be Paul McCartney. I'm meant to be the guy behind Paul McCartney. That's fine. How, how did that happen? And was there a point where there was some disappointment where you went, damn it, I want to be, you know, the rock star. But now I'm the rock star's best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Nella. Um, well, things, I, I was always in bands throughout right. the 60s. Now, at, at the end of the late 60s, I ended up in a band called Wolfgang, right. which I had incredibly high hopes for, um, even though I was still in college at that point and, and really didn't think I was, I didn't know I was going to have a career in music. You know, I loved music, I loved playing, but I was heading in a different direction. Now, in that band, we had a drummer uh, named Bugs Pemberton, who had a friend named John Fishbeck, who owned a studio in town here called Crystal Recorders, which is, he did all of the, Stevie Wonder's early record songs in the key of life and all that. Well, we had a, a, a house that the band rented that was our rehearsal place. And a couple of the guys lived there. And uh, John used to come up and hang out with us at our rehearsals. Well, one day he brought a friend of his who had just gotten back from England with him to a rehearsal. And it was James Taylor who had just returned from doing his Apple album. Right. Nice. And, he, and he had recorded his first American album, I think, he'd, at that point. Um, and um, he played us some of his songs and we went, Jesus, guy's talented, really good. And that was it. He hung out and that, that was kind of the end of it. Well, James got offered a gig at the Troubadour in, here in Los Angeles. Yeah. And uh, Danny Korchmar was going to be playing guitar with him, who I had never met. Russ Kunkel was going to be playing drums, who I had never met. And Carol King was the piano player, who I had never met. Jeez. But they said, <laughs> wow. no, we got we to get a bass player for this. And James said, there was this guy at this rehearsal. Uh, you, I think he's the guy. And Peter Asher, who was producing and managing James, they, they tracked me down and, uh, and called me and asked me if I would play the troubadour with him. And I wow. said, sure. I assumed I was playing one gig and that was it. And basically that one gig rolled over into the rest of my life. Wow. So it was really weird. I never had aspirations of, of being, you know, a rock star or, you know, it, it, I, I wanted to be in a band that was, that was successful and, I, and still one of the best bands I was ever in was Wolfgang. Right. Uh, I've got the uh, the only studio experience I had ever had was cutting some demos with that band. And, um, and then all of a sudden when James hit, we became like the, the, the darlings of the studio scene yep. and found ourselves in the studio around the clock trying to learn how, how to work in a studio. I mean, we came in 
um, I beyond moderately ill prepared for what would lay ahead because I, I was a bar band guy, you know. Wow. Playing I mean, blood. so you're definitely the definition of serendipity. I mean, you just yeah. you just sort of backed into this, and here yeah. we are. What fifty years later? Yeah, <laughs> you're still doing it. Yeah. No, it's it's so strange. And and once you know, we did the one gig with James. Right. And and it was moderately successful. Uh, from the standpoint, people still didn't know who James was. And then all of a sudden, he was on the cover of Time magazine. And as the kind of heir apparent to a whole new wave in music with the singer-songwriter movement. And the next time we played the Troubadour, there was a bomb threat. The, 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 the place was way <laughs> overpacked and, you know, all this. And then there was, they got offered a month tour back east and uh, asked me if I wanted to do that. And I just left school and never went back, hit the road with them. But um, it was uh, it was just a really weird thing. Like you said, sort of backed into it. I, yeah. I, it there were a couple of things that came into play that were important. Uh, number one, Peter Asher insisted when we did the albums that our names appear on the album jacket which nice. was kind of unprecedented at that point. So when producers and other artists were looking for musicians to, to do their singer-songwriter albums, oh. it became like the benchmark for everybody. And they would look at his album and go, well, hell, if those guys are good enough for James Taylor, let's get them. And, uh, and we found ourselves really in demand but then we also then when james we do the album and then he let's hit the road and then we would leave town and go on tour and so so that was the real delineation was from the wrecking crew was the fact that we were also the touring bands right and and it went to a whole other involvement level with the artists and we were there from the inception of a lot of the songs where you know wrecking crew would come in sit down with the charts and play them and then they would take those charts and make them unbelievable because they were such great musicians but uh it was it was a very different thing and denny recognized that and really felt this needed to be documented in the same way like standing in the shadows and the muscle mm -hmm. shoals documentaries now let, let me just that, quickly that, ask you this though because there, yeah. there's there's a good and a bad to this right the, the, yeah. the the bad is you don't have all the acclaim and you're not the guy on the Time magazine or, and you, you know, the, you don't have all the groupies. But the good side is you can show up at a gig. You can walk through the audience. And nobody's going to bother you. You can go eat at the McDonald's across the street. And nobody's going to go bother you. Um, talk to me a little bit about that, because you, you have the fame without the fame, in a sense. Right. You, you have the, yeah. the, 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 the jets and the hotels and the concert. But you can go to the mall in the afternoon. And nobody bothers you. That, that's yeah, I mean, I. I more than any of the other guys do suffer from recognition just because I committed to an image a long time ago right. that, that I get wrecked. But it's a different thing because I've always been looked at as a sideman. Right. So like if people meet me, they'll, they just walk up and they go, oh man, didn't you play with Phil Collins? Oh, I saw that show. You guys, where if they met Phil Collins, they would be freaking out and, and going well, crazy. Yeah, passing out. And yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I've, I've had the best, of that and there, there were so many times where uh, one of the funniest things was i remember when we were out on the road with james taylor many years ago and uh, a couple of us we went to a mall across the street from the hotel and they had a nice deli we had lunch and went and saw a movie and we got back to the hotel you know bumped we saw james and said so what'd you do today and he goes well no i stayed in my room you know i just well, uh, well yeah and and and, and 
we looked at him and went, all I have to do is put a, put a hat on, you know, or something. I mean, other than your height, you could get away with going. And then one time he kind of confided in me, he goes, you know, I usually only get recognized if I'm with you. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, the the, the beard probably is a giveaway. Yeah. I mean, I th- I'll tell you the, the only thing for me that, that you know, I, I don't regret it, uh, but that there's sometimes almost like a, a gut feeling of a certain amount of jealousy where I think like I look at somebody like flea and flea has only had to do chili peppers. I mean, he does a lot of other things, but that's his call, but he's made a fucking fortune being in the chili peppers and being and the only only set he's really been required to know is the chili peppers set where every time I go to work, I'm joining a new band uh, I'm having to figure out new material, new bass parts, hearing things. I mean, the, the stress level of of doing that is is pretty well, pretty okay. high. There's a part of me that that would have loved to have been like in the Eagles or something like that, where where you you really are committed to that one thing, and that's it's been successful. And not so much. I could care less if it was huge money, good money, anything that paid the bills and put a little in your pocket at the end of the day. The hard part of my job, literally, though, is when I'm looking at thousands of albums and tens of thousands of songs that I've had to play on. Um, it's just it's a hard job. I mean, you you're really yeah. have to be on your game every single day. And, so, and there, there's no going in a studio and coming out with nothing. You well, have to, to create. Well, you have to. But let me ask you about that. Since you're not playing the same 15 songs for 50 years, how do you approach that? I mean, do you do you sit down for like months and learn the new Phil Collins and the new whatever Bernadette Peters or Leo Sayer or whoever yeah. you've been, or do you sort of say, "Listen, this is how Leland plays. I'm going to take these songs and I'm going to Lelify them, and we'll be, you know, good enough, and Phil will be happy." And that's like, how how do you do? Do you really sit there and go, "Okay, I got to really be, I've got to nail it." Right. Um, like when uh, when I the first tour that I did with with Toto, yeah, um, it was because Mike Picaro um, was ill and and he could not go on and and they they were hoping it was something something like that, but it ended up being ALS, which eventually took his life. Um, but I was approached to do their tour five days before the tour began. And um, so I, I immersed myself in their music for five days. Um, I, I, I don't, when I'm doing something like that, I don't want charts. Um, so it's really a matter of <clears throat> doing, playing the stuff over and over and over until you've got it. So what I'll do though, is, is I will learn the, as close to what the original was, even if I played on the original, um, I'll try to get as close to it as I can, but I really focused on on Mike's parts on on because they gave what they did was they gave me a, a mic, board mix of the show that they were doing, and um, I had it on CD and I was driving around in my truck and every every time I got in my truck that was what I was playing. The first the first thing I did for my process was the first thing I did was figure out which key each thing was in so that I could then visualize kind of positions and stuff based on the key. Um, so like the first day, I just really listened to all these things over and over. Then I just started playing them uh, kind of ad nauseum, you know, until I felt comfortable with it. And as the tour went on, 
then I started to kind of morph it into more my approach to it, even though it wasn't dramatically different or anything. It's not like it's some bass player who has a, a style that's complete opposite of mine. Most of the stuff when I've gone in to do it is, is in my, my scope of how I play. Um, so I, I try to bring me, me to it. And I remember when we did the uh, Falling In Between live album with Toto, uh, we recorded that, that live show the second week of the tour. And I was still thinking songs and stuff. And uh, about two months into the tour, Simon Phillips and I sat there after a show and he said, we should have been filming now because it, it, it grew into something, but that right. doesn't mean it wasn't really good then. But uh, I, I really, I, I tend to immerse myself in it and honor what the original intent was uh, on, on the thing as best I can. And then and I try to throw me in, but even on stuff that I've recorded the original on and I'm doing on tour, um, I'll never play it twice the same way. Because it evolves I get, in your brain. Yeah, I, I, it's, I just want to have it be interesting and fun. So I'll, you know, I'll do different things on every every performance with it, but keep the essence of it intact. In Let me ask you this: uh, When you get a gig like that, and you're and you're immersing yourself, do you ever get a part and you just go, "Oh, this is so awful," or "This this could be so much better"? And do you go to them and say, "Hey, I could do this to make it better," or you just say, "Listen, I'm paid to play this. I'll play this, whatever." Like a little that, of both. Yeah. A little of both. I mean, if there's something I think could be better i i would approach him because like, like with the toto situation I, I i was budding right up to where they had just stopped and and for the guy and i knew the guys in the band before they were toto i mean we had a great relationship and everything steve's a monster by oh way. yeah i was well oh, I, they asked me to do this while i was doing steve's uh, ever-changing times album <sighs> with him so um what a player it, it's it's one of the, one of those things that um I didn't want it to feel jarring in any way. I wanted it to be as smooth a transition as I could. Now, if I heard something that I thought was like, no, I'm not sure about this. Could we try this? I would, I would propose it. And if they said, no, let's keep it the way it is, then I would say, fine. You know, I mean, that's what, that's what we do in the studio too. Yeah. Somebody and and to be, to be fair, you're not there to be a pain in the ass. So well, you're not there. <laughs> you're, 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 you're there. You're there to do, to do honor to the music. Correct. Uh, and to the band you're playing with or the artist that you're playing with. Um, but you also, through experience and, and years of doing this, uh, there's certain things that you might hear that they might not have thought about, or you know, maybe they're, the bass player in that project was uh, less experienced, which can at times be better because their naivety came up with some pretty cool stuff. Um, but uh, it's different every time too. I mean, every single thing that you step into is like a, a new day in your life. You're not working at uh, General Motors assembling a chassis and you're in that one part of the chassis where it, every one that rolls by, you're doing the exact same torque on this. No, yeah, you're, you're not just shoving in a rivet here. So yeah. let me ask you, I'm, I'm just going to randomly look at your discography. I mean, we've got Art Gonfarkel, Garou, Vince okay. Gill, uh, Amy Grant. When you go in and you're doing these different projects, which is singer-songwriter, French, rock, uh, country, do you just play Leland Scar bass or do you say, okay, I got to get the, the country hat on, I got to get the French hat on, I got to get the uh, A-team movie theme hat? Like, 
is do you approach it differently or do you just play what you play and it just fits in? Uh, I just play what I play and it fits in with with slight modifications if needed for the genre. But basically, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate uh, and I never I, I never stopped thinking about how lucky I am that whatever my style was and whatever my base upbringing was seems to have an ability to fit into almost every genre. So, uh, so I don't really have to change that dramatically uh, when I go in and, and put on a completely different hat, but I'm also cognizant of the different genres and different things, right. tonally, stylistically, where I, I, can, I, I, I can meld really easily into that style. And because yeah, uh, I mean, it's fair to say that there is country guitar and rock guitar oh, yeah. and there's a country voice and there's a rock voice and there's a metal voice. But yeah. do we have a bass, a country bass and a rock bass? I mean, um, I think if you were going to look at those genres and you were picking like specific people within those genres, that that's their specialty, you might say, yeah, that's okay. that's country bass or something. But I seem to have have found something that that was more universal in approach and tonality and all that. And most engineers that I work with are so thrilled when I come in because I give them a really rich, pure bass. There's not a lot of fret noise. There's not a lot of, you know, clanking going on. If I get called for something where they, they really want to have a guy that plays with a pick, um, then I'll tell them, look, I don't play with a pick. I've never played with a pick. I'm not good at it. And I, if you want at this point, I can suggest somebody to right. do this project for you. But generally they'll say, well, yeah, we want to pick, but let, let's see how it turns out. And then they're usually happy uh, gotcha. with what goes on. I'll, I'll add some, I'll play back more at, at the bridge and, and, and give it a little more top end. So it gets a little more of that snap going. Uh, but it's funny. I, I've heard other bass players say that about, oh, they wanted me to play with a pick and, and I didn't, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that being a, a huge issue, but is it? I mean, is, is it, well, it really? Could, well, it could be depending stylistically. I mean, yeah. um, I had an opportunity years ago to work with Quincy Jones and Quincy demanded he wanted pick and I turned the gig down with him. Because wow. I said, look at, you know, I, I don't want to come in and embarrass myself by not being able to do what you want or putting you in an awkward position of not really getting the thing you wanted out of this and there's people that like the carol k's and these people who are amazing great. pick players you know so i would rather defer the the gig to somebody who's uh more attuned or if it was like a heavy like slapping popping and all that that's stylistically not what i do some of these things i can bullshit my way through but that's not how i like to work so you know there's hmm. enough great players around and and Nowadays, there isn't that is the work like it was, but especially during the heyday of this, there was so much work going on that if you turn something down, odds are you were going to have something else come, come, come in. So. Uh, just real quick, uh, because Jeremy couldn't join us, I had to uh, switch us over to my free Zoom, and uh, at 40 minutes, it shuts us down, so we've got like five left. But uh, just real quick, on the Magnum PI and the Hill Street Blues and the mm -hmm. A-Team, since you're going in there and it's partly, I guess, your creation, is, is that a different thing than recording on a Toto record or recording on a whatever Garou or an Art Garf? Do you have more creative control? And as those things repeat on Netflix and on Amazon, 
do you just sort of see the royalties come in or did they was it a work for hire and thank for you hire. I, work for hire oh, look mean, at the, there, there's a there's a certain like a musician's fund where you'll get a little check at the end of the year for performance things but it's it's certainly nothing you could live on um it's just a you know it's a couple of tanks of gas at this point you know <laughs> it's not um, even a... but, but that stuff is really plotted out um right. so the, the parts are almost completely notated but like i did most of those shows with mike post who produced a band i was in in 1967 so we'd known each other forever and he would and in the beginning he said look at that's the part but if you want to throw something some color to make you some glisses and different things you know feel free to do it but you're 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 looking at time code and all those things so like with a record it's a whole different ball game a lot more freedom on a record, TV, movies, jingles, all that. That's far more plotted and, and regimented. Yeah. Let me just ask you then about that. Creatively speaking, is I play my bass, I'm happy, or is the A team better than the Art Garfunkel, or is the Trisha Yearwood? Like, are you just happy to play bass, or are you happier when it's, oh, it's Phil Collins this time? No, this is I'm, better I'm, than. I'm happy, I'm happy to be playing bass and working. I don't care if it's the biggest star in the world or if it's somebody who's doing it as a vanity project because they've always wanted to make a record. Um, right. when I, to me, there's two options when that phone rings. You, have, you, know, you could say yes or no. And if you say yes, it comes with obligation. And you go in and you do your professional and you do the best job you possibly can. Right. Um, it, and you, in, in your heart of hearts, you might be going, nobody's ever going to hear this. This this isn't great. But <laughs> But you play it as though you're working with James Taylor or Phil Collins or Barbara Streisand. I mean, that's that's what a professional does. Right. Now, what happens to these records after we do them, we have no control over. I mean, I've worked on some things that I thought were just really kind of awful, ended up being number one records. And I've worked on other things that I thought were just brilliant that never got released that are still sitting on right. a shelf somewhere. So you never know. I'm just happy to gig. And and that reminds me of something Brett Michaels of Poison once said to mm -hmm. me, and he said, you don't play to the empty seats, you play to the four that showed up. Yep. And yeah, that's 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 what you do when you're professional. You don't sit there and moan and go, oh, look at all the empty. No. It's no, it's, it's like also like people have asked me over the years, they said, you know, didn't you get sick of playing Fire and Rain? You know, played it thousands of times. I said... No, because I said somewhere in that audience, there's somebody hearing it for the first time. True. And that's yeah. who you're playing to. Yeah. So I never got, I never get bored with any of it. You know, I, I, I feel fortunate that I ended up in a career that I didn't expect to have and that it sustained itself for, you know, over a half a century now. And next year's are starting finally is looking busy again. I mean, the pandemic, was like such an aberrant period, which is still going on. And we're very cautious about everything, but we're starting to, you know, feel things that we got a, a, a short tour coming up with the immediate family in yeah, November. In November. And, um, uh, we're excited as hell about this, but it's not the world we were living in before COVID. So now things are starting to come together as more and more people get vaccinated and it feels safer at the venues and things like that. So we'll see what the future holds. With all well, this. you know, uh, tomorrow in Montreal, and by the time this airs, tomorrow will already be long gone, but we're finally going to have the first full show at the Bell Center. Wow. And I spoke to the promoter and the Genesis shows that were happening in November 
they were about to get canceled. And he said, you know what? They can now happen. And this is like, oh, great. So let's let's hope they do it all really good and that they don't have to suddenly go, oh, Christ, now we got it's it's another outbreak. We got to shut down. Yeah. Just that's my the thing I'm hoping. And I know in in Los Angeles now they've got new mandates here and you almost can't do anything if you can't show proof of vaccination. Well, we have the vaccine passport. In fact, we were the first Quebec was the first North American whatever province entity to initiate the vaccine passports and they check. Now, you know, uh, you read the stuff and they say, oh, Pfizer is only good for seven months. But it's something which yeah. is better than nothing. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. we'll we'll see how, how that goes. Um, well, let me just, uh, where was, hold on, I, got, I had the, uh, this, this, this one. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, Ricky Martin that you worked on, he's our first show tomorrow. Oh, great. So... Uh, well, it's great. It's uh, Ricky and uh, I guess it's Enrique Enrique Inglesis Enrique 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 I can't say it. Um, <laughs> just before we go, because uh, Zoom's going to cut us off because we had to be on this free one. Um, is there one album that you look back on all these ones that you've played and say, "Yeah, that's the one that you know." Put the CD uh, in the in the in the coffin with me because. I want to take this one with me. This that that's that's the winner. You know, it's impossible to say. You know, of one course. of the enjoy so much is Spectrum, Billy Cobham. That's mm-hmm. still one of my favorite albums I played on. So you know that that's. But there's so many because once again you're talking all different genres and stuff. And there's I have you know ones I like in 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 each different genre. So just pile them all in with me. Use them as ballast. <laughs> keep me you know, keep me down <laughs> yeah um uh let me see here gloria laura brannigan the oh, song gloria cool. i met laura once she was absolutely terrific she was yeah super nice lady and the unfortunate thing is about a week or two after i met her she passed away yeah can't it's just the cruelty of disease you know she was so young and talented and there's been so many, the mini Rippertons and all these different oh. artists that, that, you know, pass so young. And you just kind of, with the heartbreak of that is, is something. We're, but uh, on the album, there's a couple of uh, bass players. Did you actually play on Gloria? Well, th- th- this is the thing Bob Glob and I go through. Because in my mind, I can remember cutting that track. But right. Bob says he did it. And at this point, I, I just go, well, then you can have it. <laughs> I don't I, I don't care. And and sometimes you work on a project where you've done the track and then they maybe want to change something and you're not available. So they've gone back in and recut it with somebody else because I, I cut Sarah's smile with Hall and Oates. Hall and Oates. But but Scotty Edwards ended up on, on the track because I I think they ended up recutting the song after we cut it. I think they changed like key or something like that. Um, but I know I, it's me on Rich Girl. So on these albums, sometimes you have a couple of guys and it gets hard to suss out who's who and what's what's what on these. But I could care less, you know, who right. gets the credit. It's like if I go into uh, all music and all that stuff, it still says I, I worked with the Bee Gees. I've never played with the Bee Gees at all. <laughs> and, you know, but you know, it's just like whatever. I, I always try to straighten people out when when they ask me about certain things. I go, no. Nah, 
It wasn't me. It was it's okay. Once on Wikipedia, I interviewed Alice Cooper, and I mm-hmm. we talked about the new album. And about a week later, after the interview came out, I went to Wikipedia, and it said Mitch LaFon produces new Alice Cooper record. And I went, I'm not going to correct that. I'm just going to leave that there until somebody f- realizes it's wrong. I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, why not? <laughs> I'll take a production credit on, on Alice Cooper's record. I mean, hey, um, yeah. I, I one of the drummers that that played on that does stuff like you is Alan Schwartzberg. Oh yeah, I've worked with Alan. Alan's great. Yeah, and he has told me he goes, listen, I can listen to uh, the Jimi Hendrix thing. I can listen to this cheap trick, thing, and I know that that's my part. I know they used me. Can you recognize your parts? I mean, when you, like, Gloria, can you sit down and say, okay, I don't know. Okay, that's me. That's how my finger, like, There's can you re- certain nuances in my playing that, that I, if I'm listening in detail, I can recognize. Because I go through this a lot on my YouTube channel. Because I've only posted 99.8% of the time on my channel. It's all stuff I've played on. Right. And sometimes I'm looking at an album and there's three or four bass players on the album. So I sit and listen to each track until I, hear a track and I go, no, that's me. I, I, I can, I can tell by a gliss that, that that's the way I play and not the way that guy plays. And stuff. Right. Um, so yeah, to an extent it, it depends, but there are projects where you've really been directed into, into a part and it, it could be anybody at that point. Cause you're really not bringing anything other than the chart. To right. The table. So it's, it's different every time. Are there songs that you've played on where maybe they've gone back in, as you say, with the with Sarah Smile, and they've recut it, and then you listen to it and you go, okay, the first verse is me, the second verse is Bob, the third verse is Tony, the fourth, like, can you, are, are there parts where you're just comped? Um, there could be, but I've never really paid any attention, and I could really give a crap at that point, so I don't really, <laughs> I don't really, uh dig into it i mean the funny stuff for me is like when somebody like a band has done an album and then i'll get called to come in and replace the bass player on it because they just their tone wasn't good or their feel wasn't good so when they're mixing they suddenly i'll get a call going can you come in and and learn all these parts because we don't want them to know they've been replaced and you're not going to get album credits this is just and i go fine and I go in and I sit down and I study the, each song and work it all out and then play it. And, and nobody knows the better. That's great. And, and here, just before uh, before Zoom shuts up, the free Zoom shuts us down, uh, let's just get back to the immediate family. Yeah. Yes. Um, when you go in and make the immediate family, uh, do you really want to say to yourself, this band has a sound? Or do you sort of take from everything you've done and say, you know what, let's have a country song. Let's have a... Like, uh, did you approach it as this is fresh music and that's it? Or do you sort of look back and say, man, we, we should make another sort of Sarah Smiles kind of record? Like, how, how did you, you approach know, that? No, we approach it. We, we have an absolutely our own identity. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's basically a, a rock band right. at heart. So what we're doing is absolutely just true to the immediate family and has nothing to do with the stuff that we've played on for other people. Um, so we have our own signature sound. And um, and that's the thing we're enjoying is that the buck stops with us. We're not working with artists. We are the artists finally, and uh, and 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 it's a joy for me to be sitting there with Russ Kunkel, Danny Korchmar, and Wadi Wachtel, who I've been playing with for over a half a century, and still in a band having fun together. You know, and then adding Steve Postel to the equation was just like frosting on the cake. But uh, we're having a ball with this, and it really is us it's got and people are writing in 
to me going, people say rock is dead. It is not. You guys are, man, you guys are doing it. It's really exciting. You know what? The the whole rock is dead thing is silly. Rock has evolved like jazz evolved. You you go back to the 1920s and the jazz days, it was everywhere. And then as things moved on, it became, you know, the festival, the Newport Jazz Festival. Yeah. That's where we sort of are with rock. Rock has evolved. And now you go to the whatever heavy Montreal or and it's still there, but it's not going to be on the radio. Neither is uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band. Stuff evolves. Like, so what's what? Radio, what's radio at this point, too? I mean, it's it, the whole world of, of, of music as, a, as an industry has changed so dramatically. Yeah, but, um, but so, I mean, stuff, stuff, stuff moves on. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, the, one of my mantras has always been, don't be an old fart. Yeah. You know, I mean, things, things move on and you want to be viable and you want to work. So you go with how things are. I don't sit around and lament the uh, that analog recording is, is no longer the standard, that no. it's digital, because it's a different whole thing. But I go, I, I could sit and bitch about it, and I just sound like an old dude bitching about what once was, or I can go to work yes. and, and, and feel engaged. And that's how I approach it, you know. I, I just love the, uh, the fact that, uh, that I have things going on uh, still in my life and I still feel viable and uh, there's touring coming up next year and, and all kinds of interesting projects coming up and I'm just grateful to it at this point and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on the run as long as I possibly can. Yeah, and I'm grateful for it too. And I'm just going to say Buddy Holly, but imagine if for since since Buddy Holly came, if every single album had been Buddy Holly up until 2021, we'd be completely bored. Yeah. It doesn't take away from the greatness, we'd be bored. So the fact yeah. that we went from Buddy to the Beatles to Black Sabbath to Casey and the Sunshine, that's great. And yeah, sh- and, I agree. and and now that we're at post Malone, it's great. Just, you got to keep moving. Yeah, I agree totally. You know, uh, 70 years of the Beatles, as though it might sound great, but we'd be bored to tears. But boy, it sure is great going back and listening to the old stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's the beauty of this, is this is all documented and you can enjoy... Forever. Sit there and and listen to Mozart and you you can... I mean, it's just like, it's all there. And that's the remarkable part of it. Yeah, and and my point being is that I, I just don't see why you sit and bitch and moan about, oh, it's not there anymore. It's like... Yes, it is there, and we've yeah. got this new stuff. You know. Yeah. Yes, we have the Beatles, but we also have Black Sabbath, and we also have whatever Post Malone, and it's glorious. Yeah. Uh, there we go. Uh, I'll leave you on that because this thing's going to shut down. Yeah. Thank you for for the part two. Apologies that Jeremy's tech was gremlin esque today. Well, but, uh, also I'm gonna I'm just throw it out at you. If at some point you want to come back and do a part three, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, I'd love to. I, I would yeah. love to uh, because uh, this onion has so many layers to peel. Yeah. I mean, holy mackerel! I, I'd be I'd be more than more than happy to spend more time with you guys when technically um, we can yeah. not be looking at a clock ticking away at us on here. Yeah, which is unfortunate because uh, you know what? I'm gonna have just have to pay the two hundred bucks and get the own. N- normally, Jeremy has all that stuff, but I. I but I should probably just get it for myself. But anyway, as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Merci and, beaucoup. Uh, and, and truly, thank you for the music. That Phil Collins stuff for me in the 80s was terrific. It was magic. Yeah. Was no great. Jacket Required is easily one of the top 10 greatest records ever made. 
Yeah, I, lo I love that album. I could listen to that every day. It was it's such a special treat. I, I actually listened to it the other day, walking the dog, and it was just it was it was just fun. It was sunny. It was twenty five degrees, and I hear <laughs> this, and and it's just you know. Dog's having a coughing fit back there. I, I hope your I hope your pup's okay. That's the main thing. Thank you, sir. And uh, we will uh, we will uh, reconvene at a later date. Merci. Okay, my pleasure. Cheers. Okay, All bye bye. Right, well, let me stop that recording.